Today on the show, we have Morris Sweeney, Director of Alumni Career and Professional Development at the College of the Holy Cross in the heart of the Commonwealth, Worcester, Massachusetts. Mora talks to folks all day, every day about transitioning into new careers and has some great insights for our audience today. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing? JR, what's happening? Good. Good. How are you? Good, man. I'm excited. We got we got Morris Sweeney, Director of Alumni Career and Professional Development at Holy Cross today, me and John's alma mater. Uh, little little unique of an episode, but very excited for the conversation. Maura, thank you for joining us this week. Oh, my pleasure. John and JR, it's awesome to get to see you both again. Absolutely. We love having Crusaders. We love having the Crusaders yes. on here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Purple, purple pride. Um, and you're also an alumni too, right, Maura? I am class of 2007. There you go. Right before John and I. That's right. So, um, Maura, like I said, we're, we're, this is a little unique for us. We're typically talking to folks that have already kind of pursued a career in sales and had a lot of success and came from an af- athletic background. Um, for this episode, we're really kind of talking about like almost that pre-transition um, before these folks have made the move into sales. Um, so we want to really kind of get some some ideas and some some things out there to people that are in the middle of the transition. Um, I guess to start, Maura, do you want to just talk a little bit about about your background? Sure. Yeah. So so as you know, graduated from Holy Cross. It was there on the on the hill at the same time you guys were. And I left Holy Cross and did something that is common among many people, fell into my first job, and something that is very common if you talk to anyone who works in insurance, fell into a job in insurance. So um, my first job was working in health insurance in recruiting, um, supporting three recruiters. And one of the things that was awesome about that job is I got full exposure to the inner workings of a business and the inner workings of hiring and recruiting. I also got to help out with some learning and development with the training team. And there were some internal coaches that I got to help out when they were in our building. So it was really, really fun. Little did I know it would set the stage for what I would continue to do for the rest of my life from the other side of the table. But it was a lot of fun. I did that for a few years. I, I on the side, pursued a master's in adult and organizational learning to really build out that training skill set. I worked at MIT for a few years in a program. What I like to say is you go to a place like MIT and there are lots of random, interesting, innovative programs and offices that can exist at a place like MIT. So I helped to give out awards to inventors and innovators for about two years, which was really interesting getting to, to talk to the different personalities and, and minds, the geniuses of, of MIT and in the world. And then about a decade ago, I moved over to Holy Cross. So I have been at Holy Cross for 11 years, 
the first six and a half in the Career Center, working with employers and students and young alumni. And about four years ago, I moved to the alumni office, where my focus is on supporting alumni of all ages with anything career. And it's it's a lot of fun. That is awesome. And, and I think probably the most surprising thing that people will hear in this episode is that you went to college with John and I, and you're still talking to us. So that's like, that's a pretty, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, uh, we, we both changed a lot since back then. Um, that is, I, I didn't even know about um, your stop at insurance or MIT. That's mm. really cool. Um, so, so you were at Holy Cross, basically, if I do the math correctly, like five, you didn't go there until like five years after, after you had, or six years after you had graduated. Um, what was like with Holy Cross then versus now, um, like what was that experience like? Like you said, you fell into insurance. I fell into software sales. Um, they had the career services department, but I don't know that like, I don't know that I did a good job leveraging it. Um, like from your perspective, what was what was that experience like attending Holy Cross and having like the career services that now you're a part of? What was that like? You know, it's I credit I, I credit the career services for helping bring me back to Holy Cross, and I can tell you the story for that. But um, it was really funny when I did come back, and one of my key roles was I ran the career fair every year when I was on the student side. And I never went to the career fair when I was a student. So there was a whole lot of guilt that I felt. Um, and, you know, doing that revisionist history, telling students like, oh, if only I had gone and you need to go, I'm telling you. But I, I didn't go. And I also was fine. Um, what's What was nice, so I, I, did, I did do internships. I, I worked, you know, with staff in the office when I was a student and did those one-on-one -on -one appointments, which were really invaluable. But the funny story about what brought me back to Holy Cross is um, I was working at MIT, living in Somerville, which was a, a hot place for people in their 20s. And the woman who I had worked with, she was my career coach when I was a student. We had stayed connected and she messaged me on Facebook and said, hey, I see you're in higher ed now. My old job is open at Holy Cross. I think you should apply for it. And I thought, I was like, wait a second, I graduated. You're not supposed to continue doing this for me. Um, and at first I said, no way am I leaving Cambridge, if I'm, am I leaving this, this area? But the more I thought about it, I said, oh, I, I can't pass this up. So it, it brought me back. It, it ended up working out. It was a great opportunity. And it's been a lot of fun to see how the college has changed and even just how the field of career services has changed. I mean, my current job in alumni career services, we're still a burgeoning field. There aren't that many schools that offer dedicated alumni career programming like Holy Cross does. Usually it's the big universities that have hundreds of thousands of alums that dedicate staff. So it's been a lot of fun to see it emerge and grow. The student body is different. For, for us at Holy Cross, it's a lot more diverse, which is wonderful. Getting people from different parts of the country, which is great. So, I mean, if you go to campus, it looks totally different. There are new buildings popping up all over the place. So it's it's nice, you know, at a time when higher ed is is going through some challenges nationally. It's good to see that things are things are still going well at Holy Cross. You just have to get back to Worcester. Is that what it was? <laughs> you know, Worcester. Worcester is growing and changing. I mean, it's like that's, right. that's another huge thing over the past, I don't know, five, six years. 
it's finally, finally coming into its own, which is is exciting. I drove, I drove through, I drove through it recently more, and I saw that Polar Park where the the Red Sox have the team now, and I was just like blown away with the downtown area. You know, it's it's coming up big time. I know Jr. I know Jr. likes that. Yeah, I'm. A, I mean, I'm a Worcester kid through and through. It's the heart of the Commonwealth, John. It's the fastest growing city in New England. Don't sleep on Worcester. Nope. Um, <laughs> Place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so that's a really cool story and how you ended up um, in, in in your current role. So, like, you have a lot different. You have similar conversations to like what we have on a daily basis. I talk to a lot of kids that started in one career. And then they come to us as athletes, especially, and they're missing like the thing that, that we hear a lot is like, Hey, I'm missing the competition. I'm missing the, the continuous growth. Yeah. What, are, what, how do the, a lot of the conversations start with you with alumni? Like I'm trying to think of a situation where an alumni comes to you and, and says, Hey, like, I'm not, I'm either not happy or, or, you know, I want to do something different. Like what, what is the, what are those conversations typically look like for you, for you in your role? Yeah. You know, for me, I think my favorite conversations are the ones that start out with someone saying, I have no idea what I want to do. I am completely lost and I have no idea because that to me opens up all possibilities. And so whether it's that person or whether it's someone who comes and says, like, I've got a clear idea, I've been doing this and and I've been following this path and it's not working, you know, both sides of the extreme, my first approach is usually is usually the same to really figure out, well, okay, what have you been doing? But also who are you? And what do you really like? And what motivates you? Why do you work hard? How do you work hard? And trying to get to get really to the root of it, because self-reflection is something that people don't always want to do. I understand that I am an outlier in terms of the amount of self-reflection that I enjoy. Um, people will often comment that I ask I asked some big questions early on that they aren't prepared for. Um, but I think you need to really go deep into who you are, how you tick, what you really want in order to understand what kind of a job is going to bring out the best in you. So for any of those conversations where someone says, like, I'm completely lost, I'm all over the place, I've got no idea. Usually they have an idea, they just don't have the confidence yet to follow it. And so it's often helping them to understand that the path that they're curious about can be a possibility if they put some work into it. And then it's, it's really bringing all of our resources to help lift them up and help them move forward along that path. But I have yet to see someone who claims that they're lost turn out to be really lost. That's a, that's a really hard question. It's a really hard question to ask what motivates you. How, how do you pull that out of people? Because most people don't even know. Yeah, you know, I'm so I'm reading a book right now. It was written, a, I think, over a decade ago called Flow by Mihai Chikson Mihai. And it's all about these optimal experiences when we lose track of time, when we feel like we're in the moment, everything feels effortless. It's something that athletes can really, really resonate with because it's part of the reason why. A lot of people have stayed with their sport to such a high level because they're constantly working harder to get that optimal experience. They know what it feels like in their bones and they need to continue to work hard to, to keep that achievement. Um, and so for a lot of people, it's starting to understand what are those moments 
where I lose track of time, where the work feels effortless, where I leave thinking I might be exhausted, but that was awesome. That was amazing. And it's helping them to then, once you can identify that experience, to unpack it. Like, why were you working really hard? And why did you push yourself so hard? Who helped push you so hard? What were you trying to achieve through that experience? Because, I mean, for the two of you, you, know, you were athletes. My guess is that what motivated you was very different because each person gets motivated very differently. I, I rode on the crew team for two years when I was at Holy Cross, and it was fascinating to see that a coach who motivated me really well didn't motivate some of my teammates and vice versa. And how it really is a very individualized understanding of that unique motivation that you can turn to teammates and, and friends to try to understand their experience, maybe get some ideas for you, but you have to do that hard work for yourself to really understand. How does that resonate with you guys? I've, I've actually heard about this concept of flow, Maura. Yeah. I read a book called Designing Your Life. Yes. And, and awesome they talk book. about it. They, yeah, it's a great book. Um, somebody actually who was in career services recommended it to me and um, years ago. But anyways, it talks about this concept of you kind of lose yourself in your day to day and in that part where you're flowing. That's where you should try to figure out if you can make a career out of that or, or do steps to kind of pursue what that is, whether it be speaking or cooking or working out or, you know, talking to people you should try to incorporate that into your career. And I thought that was a very interesting concept. And, and it made me start to think about how do I recognize times in my day where I'm, I'm going through the day and I'm like, okay, I'm in flow mode. This is what I like to do. This is in like JR said, though, it's really hard. It's really hard to reflect on who you are and what you're going to do. And I think maybe some people, when they come to you, they're, they're asking for permission. Yeah. You know, they want you to tell them, Hey, it's going to be okay to go pursue this. Or, you know, I, I coached somebody one time and I said, look, I think you should probably be in HR. And they were like, HR, why would I be in HR? And I said, you told me you want to work with people and solve problems every day. So check out HR, and yeah. now, you know, they're in HR, <laughs> but they were looking for permission. So, I mean, some of our athletes that we've worked with are, regardless of the situation, they're looking for permission to pursue a sales career. Do you see, do you see more alumni? Yeah. You know, what's interesting right now is, and this, we're speaking at, you know, year 2.5 of the pandemic and I'm take, take from it what you will. I'm talking to a lot of teachers who are interested in getting out of being a classroom teacher. And one of the first things that they're looking to is sales. And so I'm having a lot of conversations with people about um, what it would look like to work for one of their vendors and to work on a sales or business development role because they understand the teachers that they would be selling to. Um, and it's, it's one of the most common conversations I've had in the past, I would say, six months. Um, you know, in general, sales and, and tech sales in particular, as people are seeing the growth in the market, has been something that people are curious about. Um, they don't always know how to break in. So it's, it's some conversations about really working that network to understand, you know, how to break in. Um, but I, I would say it's, it's lately been people who are in some of those peripheral industries that are looking to make a slight, slight pivot to use all of the knowledge that they've had from their job, like a, like a teacher, 
but look to to utilize it in a different way. And so sales has been a really, really interesting opportunity for people. Have you noticed an up, like, like it, you've been there for, you know, a decade and change have the, have the, con- and, and I know the alumni thing is new, but just like generally how have conversations changed in the past decade with people that are looking to get jobs? Like, like, you know, obviously I, me and John are unique in that we've only done, done this. John worked in finance for a while before, but like, I, I haven't really been able to to see what the world is outside of this. Like, so I'm curious to know, like how have conversations changed in the last decade? Like the biggest thing you've noticed? Yeah, I think, I think the traditional definition of what success in work looks like has changed. So the old, the old definition of working at the same place until you're 55 or 60 and retiring with a gold watch. Yeah. You know, that, that mindset has been a gone for a long time, but Every once in a while, someone who might be really listening to their elders comes in with that expectation of, oh, but I've got to find somewhere where I can really build my career. And so some of that needs to get broken apart. Um, some of the, the traditional industries that were the go-to industries for a long time, like finance 10 years ago, not necessarily the hot industry anymore. You know, I think tech has really taken over from that perspective. It's depending on the audience. I know at Holy Cross, I. I kept pushing tech about eight years ago and pe- the students at the time were not ready for it. Now, I would guess, I'm, I'm on the alumni side now, but now it's a different story. People see the value and the growth and the opportunities in tech. Startups are another world that people just, they weren't aware of them. They were too intimidated by them in the past. Now the world of startups, people have gotten to experience and to see them the whole app universe has transformed the way that people work so there's also been with the rise of the gig economy and and with with the pandemic bringing forward so many side hustles for people i think that there's been a real shift in terms of um people not really wanting to to put up with some of the the old hierarchies and the the old standards that just don't they don't feel current to who we are as professionals today so most it's a good word good word mara shift shift is a good word to use i like that (laughs) it's almost like they need a shift group (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's there's definitely different expectations from the employer employee relationship and I think the last the last two years has accelerated that in a in a very unique way. Sometimes, like as a as a both somebody who works with employees employers, sometimes I feel like too much. Like sometimes you know, and and this is just like from both hiring people and helping people get jobs. Like the ex- sometimes the expectations are like really like that. That's that's that important to you that you're willing to kind of like you know die on the hill for that. And and sometimes it is, and it's like well okay like. You know, and I think the job market, at least the last like twelve months, has been like, okay, you can you can kind of do that. Um, how, have you, you you were there, and uh, I guess you weren't there in '08. But like, what do you think with what's about to happen? Do you think that things are going to change a little bit in terms of that relationship between the employer and employee a little bit? You know, I'm I'm very curious because uh, you know I I was a recent grad when the financial crisis hit and I worked in HR when the financial crisis hit. So I spent the first year of my work hiring people and filling hundreds of jobs because I was the one who did all the paperwork, who 
greeted the candidates, set them up on computer tests, got to extend some offers. So I was doing that whole life cycle of bringing people on board, did some orientations. So saw that, that full world. And then the second year of the pandemic was a hiring freeze. And I was told to look busy so that I didn't get laid off. And I said, awesome. I work <laughs> processing new hire paperwork and doing orientations and we're on a hiring freeze. So I'm not sure how I'm supposed to look busy. Um, but I, I mean, I saw the writing on the wall and just left on my own to get a new job. But after I left, a significant number of staff were laid off. So um, I think it's good to have eyes wide open in these situations. You know, um, I can't predict the future to know what will happen. I think inevitably there are going to be some organizations that right size. Maybe they were growing too fast. Maybe they were expanding too much. Um, I always hope that it can happen naturally through attrition, but I know that that's not always the case. But, you know, I, I think the best thing that candidates can do in these volatile times is to really look at their skill set, look at, hey, when was the last time I really focused on making sure my skills were fresh? Let me look at the job market to see if I did lose my job, where would I want to go? What would I want to do? What could I apply for? It's, um, I was on a webinar earlier and, and the speaker talked about job browsing. So it's not a full search, but just do a job browse to get a lay of the land to see what would it take for me to be competitive? Because then, okay, so the floor falls out from underneath you, you'll still be okay. You've got a lay of the land, you know what's out there. There are certain industries that are not going anywhere. Hospitals are not going anywhere. Schools, like it or not, are not going anywhere. They might change shape, but there are certain organizations that you can still rely on that to a certain degree will be recession-proof. So I, I think the best thing that you can do is make sure that you are recession-proof by focusing on yourself and keeping those eyes open. That's, I, I love that. So what, what do you recommend to kind of stay sharp? Yeah. What do you recommend to stay sharp and, you know, stay uh, marketable? Like, you're right? And, and uh, what you mentioned, like, you, you want to be competitive in the market. So how do you keep yourself sharp? Yeah, say? no, it's, it's a great question. And it's going to change and it's going to depend based on your industry and based on your focus area. Um, you know, my, my boss knows full well that partly because of my job, but I read job descriptions every day. I'm, and not just for other people, but if something interesting comes my way, I'm reading through and I'm, I'm imagining, huh, what would it look like if I were to do that job? For right now, and hopefully for many years to come, I'm not interested in going anywhere because I love what I do and I, I love all the different aspects of my role. But I, having, having started my career in 2007, 2008, 2009, I just have, have kind of started as a professional with the mindset that nothing is a sure thing except what you can do for yourself. So I think reading job postings to see what is out there, what are the jobs, because jobs change all the time. Companies evolve, new departments pop up and get created to meet new needs that didn't exist five years ago. Companies get created that didn't exist five years ago. Um, so it's understanding the market, understanding who is in the space that interests you, looking at what are the skills and the requirements that they're asking for. Do you meet those? Do you need to do some trainings, even on something like LinkedIn Learning, some, you know, some trainings that can show, okay, I have an understanding of, and I can build this knowledge. Um, so it, it's, I, I think awareness the mo is the biggest thing. And then 
then you can start to to build a learning plan for yourself of, all right, well, I need to get up on this. I need to listen to some, to some podcasts to understand what's going on in this industry, whatever it might be. It's so funny. So I think like me, you and John, I, I'm, I'm closer to your age more because I, 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 they call it reclassing yeah. now, but I stay back, right? I stay it's because back you were so school. talented. Um, but like, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. My teachers just love me so much; they <laughs> wanted to see me again in ninth grade twice. Um, but uh, like, we are all three of us are part of this. I, I call it like we're like transitional yes. millennials. Like, we we're not young enough that we we don't know like yep. i remember pay phones right like i remember calling from a pay phone at the hockey rink when practice was over doing 1-800 collect and being like all right mom practice is over and hanging right. up before she had to pay for it um but we also like were you know 18 19 um when we did get a cell phone so we know what that's like too um but we also had the shared yeah. experience of 2008 and like, especially like I, I, I got in this huge argument last night on LinkedIn with somebody, which I shouldn't do. And I know that I just go down these rabbit holes sometimes, but, th but they're like, they're like talking about like how, how evil these companies are for doing layoffs. And it's like, this is like, yeah. it's, this is yeah. business. Like, you know, like sometimes executives and boards make, make bad decisions. There's no way to know that we're going to have the inflation that we're going to have and the gas prices that we're going to have and you're going to hire you're going to hire with a positive mindset an optimistic mindset and then when things start to go sideways you have to make hard business decisions and like my take as a transitional millennial is like the company doesn't owe you anything except the compensation and the benefits that you signed yep. up for you're an at-will employee but then you get you, you know so i think maybe working with alumni you're kind of missing you're missing the new generation that we get to work with on a, on, a, on a weekly basis where there's like, you know, I hate to use the word, but not, and, and maybe it's not the right word, but there's just a, a little bit of entitlement ex expectations about like what you're getting from the organizations that you're working for. And I, and, and I think like, we're, I, I personally think we're lucky that we lived through 2008 because we know what the real world can be like sometimes. And sometimes it sucks and it's hard. And you should be prepared for it, which is exactly no, what you're saying. I think it's true. And it's, you know, it's the kind of thing that you can't gain the wisdom until you live through the hard experience. It's why if we, if I were to talk to my 22 year old self, I would tell my 37 year old self to take a hike, like whatever. I don't care. Not listening to you. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of the, you know, the typical generational challenges that we have with intergenerational work of there are certain commonalities about being, say, a tr traditional uh, college age, 18 to 24, that, you know, that feeling of invincibility or, or also, you know, I think there's a lot of positivity, to be honest, in having the next generation come in and say, why are we doing this? I don't want to do this. Why have you all put up with this? I don't want to put up with this anymore. So the fact that they're demanding flexibility, the fact that they're demanding um, better work life. While it might drive some people crazy, it's only going to make it better for all of us. So I, I see it as certainly there's going to be some entitlement. There's entitlement from our generation, I'm sure. Um, I put in the time I deserve. Okay. Just because you put in the time doesn't mean you're good at your job anymore. There's a difference between those two things. So I, I think it's all about listening to all of those sides of the conversation, but bringing forward 
the positive aspects that can make good change for all of us in organizations. I think that's spot on. You're both on to something. I see the entitlement with myself, uh, you know, being a Holy Cross grad. You know, back then it was like I went to Holy Cross and you're in, I'm in New England. So people are like, oh, you know, wow, that's a great school. And up here, you know, I tell somebody in Quebec, I went to Holy Cross and they're like, do you want to be, a, did you want to be a priest? <laughs> And I'm like, no, no, it's not like that. Like, it's like, a, it's like, a, it's a good school. And they don't know. There's like four universities up here and they, they know like the, the few up here. But um, anyways, I, I, I like that uh, idea around, you know, there's flexibility now and people have, there's different generations in the workforce, but I always hear like people have multiple careers now. And back then it used to be you just kind of stay and get a pension. Yeah. You know, when you're done, you're done. Do you see a lot of people change careers a lot more often? Yeah. I mean, the number that jumps into my head is that people will have as many as eight different careers throughout their lifetime. Wow. Which, I mean, to me... Okay. So how, how, do, you, how do you know? When... Oh, I was just going to say, that makes to me, that makes life worth living. Oh, I'm not going to be stuck doing the same thing for my entire life. I get some change and some variety. I have two, two thoughts on that more. I'm with you. And I also like... Like some, some of the younger uh, people entering the workforce, they're like, I want to work at a company where it's flexible. I can work remote. I can walk my dog for an hour. The product's sustainable and it has to ever last, you know, all the politics and dynamics. And it's just like, okay, but if Exxon Mobil offers you a job and it's a high paying job, you should probably take that too. And they're like, no, I would never, my morals don't align. So, um, you know, a lot of people are trying to find the perfect career, or find that one job where they can just say, that's my job, that's my career. How do you know, and maybe this is a trick question, how does somebody know when they're in the right career for themselves? What I, that's a great question. And that is a common, common sticking point for people that prevents them from moving forward is when they're looking for perfection or they're looking for something to tick every single box. And what I encourage people to do, and I had a conversation with someone the other day, and I could see him physically relax, is I said, you, you do not have to find the perfect job for the rest of your life because it doesn't exist. What you need to do is find the perfect job for right now. What do you need from your life right now? Because in one year, two years, five years, 10 years, your life is going to be drastically different from what, right now, and you're going to want different things. You don't know what they are. You don't know what opportunities are available to you. We can't see the future. So don't waste your time trying to plan for a future that you will never anticipate, even if you tried. I am, I, I can't help myself. I'm not a worrier so much. I'm a expectations manager. So I am always trying to anticipate anything that can go wrong and all of the ways that I can mitigate it. And yet even still, Reality surprises me. And inevitably, what actually happens is not something that I have imagined or rehearsed in my mind. So the same thing is true with jobs. You just need to figure out, what do I need right now? If right now I need a remote job, because I've got a puppy and I, don't, I can't pay for a dog walker so, and they need to go for a walk twice a day, okay, find a remote job for right now. If in a year they want you to go into the office, Guess what? Your dog is older. They don't need to be walked twice a day. Maybe you've gotten a promotion. You can pay for a dog walker and now you can go into the office or you can find an office job. You know, it's it's giving yourself the flexibility that change will come 
And change is okay. It's not a bad thing. It can be bad, but it doesn't have to be. Um, because, you know, if you have eight, eight different careers throughout your life, that means it's okay to change jobs every few years. People don't look down upon that. That's great advice. I never thought of it that way, but like find something that makes sense for you right now. Yeah. And, and, and like other things that I, I don't, that, that people discount is like that matter are like the people you're working with, yeah. right? Like huge. The, the product, the product, the company growth, like all these things. It's like, listen, at the end of the day, you're going to be spending, you know, 80% of your time with this group of people or this manager. Is this somebody that you think you can learn from? Is this somebody that you think you can get better underneath? Is this, is this a group, uh, an organization that you can grow in? I think those things matter a lot more than, than some of the stuff like John that you mentioned about like sustainability and, and company mission and all these other things. It's like, you almost, you, you need to take like both a macro and a micro view sometimes. You know what I mean? You know, it's, it's true. And yeah, I, yeah go ahead, John. No, I was going to say, I totally just agree. I'm just thinking of, there was probably an amazing senior vice president at Kodak one day and it was like killing it and it was a great company. And then all of a right? sudden they're gone. And it's like, you probably benefit more from working for the, that person than from the company itself. Cause you never know. You know, and to that point, I'm thinking of someone that I know who once upon a time works for Philip Morris. And I don't know anyone who's going to promote smoking these days. And yet she said, she's like, you know, it's a little uncomfortable to have it on my resume because of the stigma. But when I held that job, it was one of the best teams that I worked with. And her focus was not on cigarettes. Her folk, you know, she, she did different work, but even still... To your point, it was a great team. She learned a ton. The people that she was with were really, um, were great. So I think it is, it's important. Certainly you don't want to work for an organization in an ideal world, the mission and the values and the product align with something that you're really comfortable with um, and that you fully believe in, but you also can't discount the team that you're working on. I totally agree. And more, one thing that I always been telling people since I, made the transition into sales myself is when you get into sales from an entry-level perspective, look at it like you're going into graduate school to learn as much about selling and business development and marketing and you know professional presentations and public speaking. You're going to learn all of those skills in a sales role. So look at it like that. Don't look at it like, oh, I'm at the wrong sales company, right? Like We, we try to uh, coach younger people that it's okay to go and do business development for xyz.com and then switch a couple of years later and become a sales rep at a, at a different company, maybe a bigger company in a different location. So um, with that in mind, you know, what, what could we be helping people with in that transition into sales from a career perspective? Like what, what kind of things can we be doing a little bit differently or a little bit better with people who are teachers, teachers that want to shift into sales? How could we help them um, out a little bit more? Well, I think reading your book is a great start. So I'll do a shameless plug for you for that. Um, but, you know, I, as, as, yes. Thank oh, you. absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I'm a, if anyone could see me, I've got books surrounding me. And so I, I appreciate a, a good book. Um, I think the key thing for anyone who's looking to get into a new career and so who's looking to get into sales is I think about it in terms of, getting as close to the experience as possible. So um, 
the way that we become more comfortable with something is, and the way we become more successful is by being familiar with it. Because when we're familiar with the lingo, with the work that's done, with the people, in this case, with the product, it makes it that much easier to make that transition because it doesn't feel like all of a sudden I'm dropped in China and I'm asked to speak Chinese and I've had no training. No, instead, I was a French major at Holy Cross. And so if I was dropped in France right now, I'd do okay because I had so many years of French language. I've lost a whole lot of vocabulary, but I know I could pick it up if, if I was in the space because I'm very familiar with it still. And so as much as people can understand, you know, these are the types of skills that you would need. This is the type of environment. These are the people. It's that informational networking. It's that research that they can do on their own, doing some trainings, getting out there, using the product, understanding why would someone want this? What problem does it solve? Um, who is their key market that they work with? All of those things, I think, can build a lot of that familiarity to make someone feel a lot more confident about making the transition, feel a lot more confident talking the talk in the interview and really showing them that, look, I'm not trying to convince you that maybe I can do this. I've done my research. I know I can do this. I know what I'm talking about. Um, how does that resonate with you guys? Because you, you're the experts on this. You talk to people about this all the time. I love it. I love that answer because because we overemphasize. We do an entire course on preparation and like digging in and like you know one of the one of the things we require of candidates before they interview is being able to explain what the product does to someone at a bar, right? Like if you can't, it's not like like we 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 work with some fairly technical softwares and and solutions. Um, so the expectation is not like, hey, can you explain it to an expert? But can you explain it to Someone at a bar, or your mom, or your, you know, your your dad, or whatever, right? Like, uh, that's kind of how I've always measured understanding. Is if I can break it down, a simple com, uh, a complex, um, you know, thing to a simple explanation, that means I understand it. So, um, I think the idea of preparation to create comfort and confidence is a no brainer. That's awesome. Yeah, it's spot on, more, and it's exactly what Jared's doing with, with the Shift Group University, like the. When we first started placing athletes, it was like, okay, you must have some time management skills. We can prep you for an interview here. But now that that content is focusing more on, okay, this is what AE stands for. It's account executive. This is BDR. This is what salesforce.com is. When somebody says this, this is what they mean. And, and really exposing them to the lingo and the terms and the expectations. I think that's that's a great take on it. I've never heard it put that way, but that's a great take. Love it. Well, I'm not surprised that, that this is already within your realm. I'm not surprised. <laughs> and I think we're, we're pretty close to, uh, I don't know, JR, you have other questions? I have one more question because I'm, I'm more curious than anything else. Um, more like we obviously we, we specifically work with former athletes. Um, because because athletes have like some characteristics that we find that I've found as a as a you know lifelong sales leader or career long sales sales leader that are usually they translate to success things like resiliency being motivated by competition um, you know being coachable um, being you know com uh, super super uh, like growth mindset oriented these are all things that athletes have. Um, and like, you know, I come from a family of athletes and, and coaches and, 
you know, like I, I use my brother a lot as an example because my brother played in the Olympics. Like he got to the highest level you can possibly get in sports. And I love my brother dearly, but he could, he couldn't be a salesperson. Yep. Like, I just don't think like one, he wouldn't enjoy it. Yep. And two, like he probably wouldn't be very good at it. How do you handle, like, how, how do you handle that conversation or figure that or help somebody figure it out where it's like, cause we get athletes sometimes and they're quiet, they're reserved. And like, you can tell, like, they're not going to be comfortable being uncomfortable, which is you spend like 99% of sales is like, you're very uncomfortable. You're talking about stuff that you really don't understand. And people are saying no to you constantly. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, man, like this isn't going to work. Um, how do you handle that conversation? Like you meet somebody, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's somebody from another uh, career where they're like, Hey, I want to do sales. Like what, what does that conversation look like from your perspective? Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of different, this is true for a lot of different industries. You know, someone thinks they might want to do this and then they learn more about it or, you know, talk to people and they're saying like, no, this isn't, you wouldn't be right. You know, the, the first thing that came to mind when you were talking about just the, the traits that you see that are so common in athletes is, um, so I got, I'm a certified strengths coach through Gallup. And so Gallup is the, the 34 Clifton strengths yeah. It used to be called strengths finder. And so it's all about understanding who you are and what drives you and, and what, what makes you the wonderful person that you are. And what's really interesting about it is that competition, there are a lot of different words. They have competition. They have it defined a certain way as a strength. And the way that they define competition is that it's someone who has a strong strength in competition, derives energy, and is very good at competing with other people. There are also other strengths, like I hold the strength of achiever as my number one. People who know me well, this was no surprise. Um, and for me, achiever is not competition. It's I am striving to do my best always. And so it's a much more of an internal competition as opposed to an external competition. And I was an athlete for a lot of my life. And I, I didn't always, sometimes that that competition on the field or on the water really got me going and working harder, but it didn't always do that. And so some for some people, it's that internal drive to make themselves better that drives them. And so to get to that example that you talk about in terms of sales, some people who have that internal drive will also, you know, might be driven to, to a sales role if they also have some strong relationship building talents that can come together. Um, but that might not be true of everyone. So I think this is where those big questions of understanding for people, well, what motivates you? Do you get really motivated by looking at the person next to you in the race and seeing how well you're doing against them? Or do you get motivated by beating your number and by getting faster yourself or getting stronger? And so it's, it's helping people to understand what, that, what drives them, what their strengths are, and then looking at, okay, what's the environment and what are the different roles that can allow you to do that really, really well? So it could be that the sales environment is a fit, but they'd be better on in the background in operations because they've got that, they understand the competition and they like being part of the team. They're just not going to be on the front front lines. 
they're not the person who's going to do well in that situation, but they can, they can be on the back. It's like the, you know, the second string who is critical to helping make sure that the, the first string is well prepared for the live game. They might not play the night of the game, but they're still working really hard and they're still a critical member of the team. And the, the first string is not going to succeed if they don't have great practice um, team to work with. So it's, I, I think, again, it all comes down, down to that self-knowledge. And so for me, having those conversations isn't difficult because if anything, I, I think it would be awful if I had to force someone to work in an area where I knew that they'd be unhappy. And it's helping them to understand there is another place where you can work and get paid and also be happy. You don't have to sacrifice that. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. There, you, there's no trade-off. No. It doesn't have to no. be a trade-off. I agree. Yeah. Maura, this was such a great conversation. I think one thing that I'd love to leave people with are, you know, you, you do this every day. Do you have any favorite resources for career development, books, podcasts, newsletter? I know we dropped one book on the audience. Any, any others uh, on, on that front that we can leave them with? Yeah, so I do. I've got some a bookshelf in front of me and one behind me. Um, one that's, that's really, really great. It's called Switchers by Don Graham. It's an orange book with an arrow on the front. If you're a visual <laughs> visual person or if you still like hard books like I do, um, it's really great for someone who's making a career switch. I hear that she also has an, um, a radio show, a talk radio show. I haven't listened, but I've really appreciated the book. Um, what else have we got? There's also, so one of my favorite podcasts is called Coaching Real Leaders. Um, that is kind of a holistic view on on um, on coaching and kind of understanding the world of work. Uh, there's another great podcast by Adam Grant um, talking about the new world of work that I really enjoy. Harvard Business Review, I, like any of their podcasts that they put out, I try and listen to as much as possible. Um, what else have we got? Oh, there's a, uh, I'm just looking. Keep them coming, keep them coming. We'll put them in the show notes below the oh, episode perfect. so people yeah. can, um, can find there's, them. Uh, what was the other one? Oh, there's another one for anyone who's getting just getting started. Um, there's a book called Now What? It's 90 Days to a New Life Direction. It's it's a really good starting point for an, anyone who's never stopped to think about what they want to do and they feel like they're at square one. The book can give a really nice way to walk people through. Um, so those are those are some that I think would be good to to start out with. Yeah. I'm about to get some Amazon points with that, with those suggestions. <laughs> oh, I love it. Maura, this was such a good conversation. Very unique for us, but I think the audience is oh, going to love it. Really my appreciate My pleasure. You. This is so much fun. Anything I could do to support you guys and to support the work that you're doing, I am game. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a, uh, have a great day. Awesome. You too. Thank you so much, Maura. Thank you. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.